It's time for Vax Talk. Let's talk VPDs. We're shaping the conversation about vaccines. To learn more, visit VaxTalk.org. Welcome to Vax Talk Live in Seattle. Woo! Hello, I'm Karen Ernst. I'm the executive director of Voices for Vaccines. I'm Nathan Boonstra. I'm a general pediatrician, not here at Blank Children's <laughs> Hospital, but way over, which way's east? I don't know. Somewhere in uh, Blank Children's Hospital in Des Moines, Iowa. Nathan, why don't you start with your Around the Web? Okay. Um, as long as we're talking about podcasts, I want to tell you about a podcast that I just, well, it just came out. It's a podcast called America Dissected. It is a podcast done by uh, Dr. Abdul El-Sayed, who is a physician and epidemiologist. He's been active in politics as well. Uh, and he's doing a multi-part series on various aspects of the healthcare system in the United States. Um, everything from healthcare disparities to uh, drug prices to all kinds of things like that. Uh, but the very, very first episode is about vaccines and specifically looking at the anti-vaccine movement and how we got to where we are today. It's a very well put together episode. Go, you've already got your podcast app out now, so go over. It's called America Dissected. Um, there's several with that name, so it's probably the first one that you see. It kind of shows us. A, a graphic of America with various kind of medical things making up the country uh, so that you know it by looking at it. Give it a listen. I've only listened to that first episode. I haven't listened to the other episodes. The second one is actually about quackery and alternative medicine quackery and stuff like that. So that's probably worth your listen to. And then uh, I'm, I'm planning on listening to the whole series. Yeah, I have not heard it. I downloaded it to listen on the plane. Um, but didn't get around to it yeah. because I forgot my earbuds. But um, but it's good, huh? Yeah, it's really good. He does a great. He's a good speaker. He um, he interviews Ethan Lindenberger as well nice. on there and does I think does a we great. We also interview interviewed with him. Ethan Lindenberger. Yeah. Check out that episode. Uh, and he really puts together a nice little review of kind of how um, vaccine hesitancy has uh, developed over time. Um, give some advice on how to how everybody can kind of start to push back against it, particularly those uh, of us in the healthcare, uh, in healthcare. So. Well, that sounds terrible, and like no one should listen to it. They should just listen to our to podcast. Yeah. yeah, I don't want to take away our thunder, but yeah. you can listen to that one episode and still listen to how many episodes are we on right now? Uh, thirty-four, thirty-five. And you can take our thirty-four episodes okay. of Backstock after that. My Around the Web is something kind of fun, um, and it kind of piqued my interest because it's about a friend of ours, um, a professor of law from California named Dorit Rice. Who's ever heard of Dorit Rice before? Yeah. We all love her, right? So there's this article on a website called Doximity, and I'll put this in our show notes. Um, it says, as tiring as it is, you're in good company fighting anti-vaxxers. This legal expert says, well, guess who the legal expert is? Our friend Dorit. And I just wanted to pull out this one quote from her. Um, she's talking about the pushback that she gets. 
and how sometimes it becomes personal, especially Dorit, it becomes really personal. She's really had some quite ugly pushback. And Elias Cass, who was here before, was talking about some of the really horrible pushback he got for testifying um, in the legislature here. But she talks about some of the pushback that she gets, and she says, um, she's asked if the negative opinions influence her emotionally. So we all know that when we're talking about emotions with parents, that there's the science and there's the disease aspect, but there's a real emotional aspect of it too. And sometimes you can get really wound up in that sphere. And so she says, it really is nowhere as important as the opinion of people I respect or like. It can get to you when you're already tired and vulnerable, but at those times, if these things weren't around, you'd likely find other things to be upset over. It tends to get my back up and not the reverse. And so I just kind of wanted yeah. to share that because, um, well, first of all, Dorit's lovely and amazing, but also because I think it's a really good reminder to all of us that when we're encouraging vaccination, that when we get in that emotional space and someone comes at us and is unkind or confronts us in a way that maybe isn't the way we want to be confronted, that this isn't the opinion of that we should be listening to. That we know that we've got people around us who respect us and like the work that we do. And I'm looking around this room mm -hmm. at these lovely, lovely people, and I am positive that there are people who are grateful for the work that you do and never tell you because I can tell you that whenever I go to whatever state I go to, I meet the most incredible people working in public health and providers and nurses and you're all doing such great work and really you're my hero, so thank you. <laughs> all right, well Yeah, I agree. <laughs> let's get to our slides. Anti-vaccine or vaccine hesitancy. Uh, so this is a quote from Tara Haley. And again, for those of you listening at home, I will put the link to this on our show notes. Okay, so Tara Haley is a journalist. She writes um, for all sorts of um, newspapers and magazines. And she says, anti-vaccine advocates, those condemning vaccines lobbying legislators to loosen immunization requirements and spreading misinformation and fear about vaccines deserve to be marginalized. But they are a tiny, tiny minority when it comes to the continuum of vaccine hesitancy. And I think that's really important because we can really get tripped up in those anti-vaccine folks. For example, uh, when I came here today, I knew what was waiting for me because Nathan had texted me a photo of what was out front. Um, you want to describe that a little bit? Yeah, well, I texted you. I said, we've got friends out front. <laughs> there, there were, I don't know, 10 maybe-ish people out front. You've all seen them, but um, signs everything from some of the myths that we've heard. One of them had a sign about like buying silicon water to detoxify something, something, something. Um, not, not the most on-message signs, I'd say, out there, but they were out there in the rain. Right. So those, those would be those folks that we're talking about, that tiny, tiny minority. You're not going to see vaccine-hesitant people coming to a conference like this and saying, I'm, I'm not sure about vaccines. Can I stand here? <laughs> <laughs> this is part of um, the continuum of vaccine acceptance. So we've got vaccine rejector, vaccine hesitant, and vaccine acceptor. I really think seeing it as a continuum really 
helps us understand what vaccine hesitancy is. I certainly, in practice, see this, right? In fact, I don't see a lot of what I see online or what was who was standing out there in the rain. Not very many people are coming to my practice saying uh, the vaccines are awful and terrible and they don't want them at all. You, mm -hmm. It's just not, and certainly not to the level of, and, and they, you do, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that you won't encounter them in real, you know, in practice, but um, vast majority of people are going to be people who are maybe refusing, but refusing because of not as strong of a stance as right. the people that we talked to you talked to yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll just tell that story a in a couple second. hours ago. Yeah. Well, so I did, um, as a favor to somebody, I went outside and talked to, as Nathan terms them, my friends, um, <laughs> all five of them. Frenemies. Friends. And so I uh, just kind of wanted to, my purpose in talking to them, because I knew I could tell by the signs that they were holding, that I wasn't going to go out there and change their minds. I knew that these people were anti-vaccine and that I wasn't going to have a productive conversation that made them see vaccines entirely differently and say, wow, you convinced me. That's great, strange lady I've never met before, right? That doesn't happen. Get out some like white out and write the word not in the right. middle of one of their signs. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not a thing. So, and, <laughs> and I should say, Nathan was standing there with me looking really less than thrilled. <laughs> But I, di I did just want to talk to them. I wanted to sort of get them to think about their message and their audience. So the audience was clearly the people in this room right now, right? So they have various signs that say things like, you know, aluminum's a neurotoxin and 100% of it injected goes to your brain. And, and, I'm, and I just wanted them to think about if I'm holding this sign and the people inside this building, I'm standing outside of, are reading it, what would they think seeing it, right? So whenever we're communicating a message, we have to think about what are the people hearing this going to hear? Am I communicating what I intend to communicate, right? Yes, I'm a former English teacher. And so, um, and so I asked them, I said, what do you think the people inside would say in response to your signs? And they were not able to get to that place. And that's really, um, and the conversation went on from there. I kind of pointed out to them that they were like throwing out a million different ideas at me at once and it was hard, and they, they claimed they wanted to have a conversation but it's hard to have a conversation with somebody who doesn't have a focus of what they're saying. So it was hard for them to get there. And, and that's really, I think, what makes that particular community difficult to engage, but also they're really entrenched in their ideas and they really believe that by holding their signs, they're gonna catch one of you and you're gonna rethink your lives. So did that happen? <laughs> Okay, so Nathan, this is, I, I put this on here for you, pediatrician okay. perceptions of refusal. So this is when pediatricians see parents refusing vaccines, and we'll say out of hesitancy, not out of an anti-vaccine persona that they've put on. The reasons for refusal have really gone down. I think that part of that we can read, and, and I, I'm curious about your experience with that, but parents are becoming more astute about being able to spot 
vaccine misinformation and not buy into it. So I'll just read these and then I want you to talk about what you, mm -hmm. if you see these. So pediatricians think that the reason parents refuse are that their babies are too small to get so many vaccines. There's too many pokes, like there's, uh, we don't want all of those right now. Um, the whole worries about autism and mercury or autism or mercury, and also worries about safety and side effects. Yeah, that sounds about right. I mean, you get kind of also the is ingredients as part of that, or is that kind of tied up into I think that's autism, the, mercury. Yeah, just general ingredients. Because I do feel like over the 13 years or so that I've been in practice, the concern about, at least in my the population that I serve, people questioning about the autism link has declined mm -hmm. as people starting with the too many too soon or general ingredient concerns, not necessarily thimerosal or mercury because that's only in uh, a minority of flu vaccines in terms of the childhood schedule. Um, but you start to see those ones come up that I, I start to need to address more. So there's a difference we see between parents who are hesitant and parents who are accepting and what benefits they see to vaccines. And I think this one's really important to highlight because I think it doesn't, people don't pay enough attention to this. They, they're really concerned about why people don't wanna vaccinate and maybe not looking at how much benefit do people see in vaccinating. So if you're on the fence, if you maybe might vaccinate what benefits do you see coming from this? So these are, um, this is a survey of people who have a vaccine exemption on file at schools and people who have vaccinated children at schools and the differences between how they see the benefits of vaccines. So for the benefit of people who are listening to this podcast at home, um, we've got less than 50% of exempted par or parents of exempted children believing that there's a benefit to the child. Whereas we have you know, pretty close to 95% of vaccinated parents believing there's a benefit to the child. And you know, I've always worked under the assumption that one of the primary reasons people do vaccinate is that they see a benefit to their child in particular. He's nodding for yes, people at home, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, we usually do this over the internet, so he can't nod at me, but. <laughs> well, it wasn't a question, but yeah, and I think that we, we talked earlier about storytelling, and I do think that that becomes so important at this point, because one of the things that I do in my approach to just the first time that I talk about immunizations, so for example, let's talk about the adolescent vaccines, let's talk about the Tdap, the HPV, and the meningococcal. The way that I'm gonna present that is I'm gonna say, you're due for these three vaccines that prevent against these diseases, and then I describe the diseases. You're due for this one vaccine that protects against three different diseases, one of which is causes paralysis if you step on a dirty nail, one of which causes the 100-day cough, and one of which causes, you know, basically a form of death by strangulation. Maybe not in quite those kinds of graphic terms necessarily, but not necessarily pulling the punch too much. Like I am saying, these are the nasty, this is the bad things that you're protecting against. Uh, another shot for this virus that causes several different kinds of cancer uh, and is one of the few kinds of cancers that we can prevent and another one that prevent, prevents brain infection. And your brain is a good brain, I wanna protect it. And that's why I think that you should immunize against these today. So that's one way that I just kind of start with the benefit of vaccines when I'm talking to somebody. I love that. 
next up is the benefit to community, the whole herd immunity thing. And really parents, um, this is gonna be surprising, but parents don't stand around talking about herd immunity very much. <laughs> uh, it's not something at, at top of mind for parents. But it's about equal to benefit to child for those who are exempting their children out of vaccines. So less than 50% see the value in that. The interesting thing is, almost 50% of parents who've exempted their children see the value of vaccines benefiting their children and their community, and they're still exempting their children out of vaccines. Mm -hmm. So where are we going wrong there? How, how are we not getting them to see the value and take the action? And that, that's a question I wanna pose to you, Dr. Boonstra. Well, I think that's a harder thing to address to somebody who's vaccine hesitant, because I think if they're hesitant, they're primarily thinking about their kid already. So if they're mm -hmm. already thinking it's not good for their child, if, if they're of the mindset that it is dangerous, convincing them that it's good for other people is not gonna be a strategy right. that is gonna work super well. So I always think that the, 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 way, the time that it works to talk about coming together as a community is when they think that their child isn't gonna be super affected by the disease because they have a healthy child. Mm -hmm. So they may perceive the benefit to be low to their child. They may or may not perceive the risks to be all that great, but they just don't think that their child needs it. So they don't think they want to risk even us, what they may consider to still be a small risk because they don't perceive a small, they don't perceive a benefit to their child. That's when I think it's important to bring into the fact that it's not just about protecting your own child. Mm -hmm. um, I do not know how effective that conversation is in terms of uh, changing minds and changing the needle. And I certainly don't know what data is out there to support it. Changing the needle. Moving the needle. <laughs> so the last two are benefit to pharma and benefit to doctor, which, you know, parents of exempted children see all sorts of benefit to pharma. Um, my conversation with my friends outside, they, they pointed out to me how much money pharma makes. Uh, and I said, I don't know why you think I work for pharma. Vaccinated parents see that there's a benefit to pharma, and apparently they that doesn't bother them, which doesn't surprise me. You know, I, I drive a car, and me buying that car comes at great benefit to the car maker, and I still drive it and buy it, so. I think the tough thing there is the perception that it's not just that it benefits pharma, it's that it does to the extent that pharma is able to now control everything like yeah. they think. So all of you, like just the people on the other side of the window think that you are all getting thousands of dollars for this. I'm not kidding. Like they think you're on the payroll, all right? So, <laughs> so there's this perception that goes from um, not just that it benefits pharma, but that pharma does all the research or controls all the research and the pharmaceutical company makes the decisions, not like public health experts and whatnot mm -hmm. that are in rooms trying to make the best decisions for kids' health that we all, that you all can. Right. You know, I just, pardon my diversion here, but it, it just occurred to me, if they think everyone in this room is, you know, on the take, <laughs> and I asked them, I said, why are you protesting? They said, we're not protesting, we're educating. So I, I just wonder, I mean, I don't get why they're here. <laughs> I mean, why would a sign convince you when you're making all that big, beautiful pharma money? Just a thought. 
Okay, so um, I wanted to bring in a case study. His name is Dr. Boonstra. And, and actually, I have to tell you, I do know that your patients are, your parents and your patients are very loyal to you, and they really, really like bringing their kids to you. And I think that um, that's part of the reason I asked you to be my co-host, because I, I think that that is really important, the amount of empathy you have to your patients. So thank you for all that work. But I wanted to read this review from his Facebook, uh, his Facebook page. Dr. Boonstra is as wonderful and patient with kids as he is with parents. He never belittles any questions or concerns I have and is great at explaining everything. Having him as our pediatrician was our very best parenting decision. Oh, <laughs> That's one of those fake reviews that I had people put up there to combat the one stars that I was getting. Nah. So I, I wanted to point this out to you, not just to embarrass you in public, um, but also because I'm wondering how important that building that relationship with parents is to you and how you see that playing into what you do around vaccine decisions. Right. So there's a lot of, there are a lot of studies that have tried to look at what makes the difference in terms of getting families towards yes. Uh, and they include the presumptive approach, which means going in and not, uh, instead of going in as too much of a conversation like, hey, let's try to figure out what vaccines you want to get, come in and making that strong recommendation uh, and making it, assuming that since the parent wants what's best for the child and you want what's best for the child, that you guys are going to agree to immunize. That doesn't mean that you are doing it without their permission. You are you know, you're going to tell them and you're going to get their consent and whatnot, but um, you're going to say it in terms of your child's due for these or today is the day for these vaccines or whatnot instead of here are some vaccines, uh, you know, this, this may be more mushy than people would really do, but to say anything of the order of here are some vaccines, let's try to figure out which ones you want. When you, when you do it that way, when you do it in the more presumptive way, parents perceive that. Uh, that, that that really is something that the provider takes seriously. So that's one of those things. Um, and that might, that moves the needle, moves the needle a little bit, okay? And uh, another thing is we talked about before is stories and talking about the negative aspects of the diseases. That might move the needle a little bit. Some studies show that. Some studies don't. Like there are studies that look at that, those same kinds of things and don't show much needle moving, right? What can't really be measured is the relationship between the, the provider and the, the, the patient and the, and the parent, right? That is something that if you've established that trust, they know you um, and it's coming from you and not in a study where they're just like, okay, I'm reading this thing on how bad measles is, am I gonna immunize now? No, you study, I'm not gonna do it for you, but they might do it for their provider. Um, and I bring that into the larger conversation because I, I think uh, minority in people in here probably are providers for our medical care providers and are actually writing the orders to, to give the immunizations. Maybe I, I don't mean to assume, but everyone in here is an expert and everyone in here is trusted by people. You are all friends and you have trusted opinions by, you are trusted in your opinions by a lot of people. Um, and so when we bring that into the larger conversation, when we bring it into not just the clinic or the office, but when we are in real life mentioning, not 
you know, not giving a diatribe, not standing on our soapboxes, but bringing into the conversation how important we think it is to immunize, bringing that to our social media feeds uh, and in real life social circles, that also makes a difference because hearing those messages changes minds. And that's also shown in studies because nice. people's social networks influence how they decide in terms of uh, immunizing. People listen to their doctor and they listen to their friends. Yeah. And, you know, just to add to that, we have on our Voices for Vaccines website, we have a number of blog posts from parents who used to be vaccine refusers and changed their minds. And, you know, I get a lot of requests from reporters. They call me and they say, can you get me a parent who used to be anti-vaccine and then all their kids got sick and they changed their mind? And I'm like, that's not how it works. <laughs> I, what happens is that they have someone who cares about them, who cares about their children, and whom they trust that spends time with them and, and talks it over over a period of time. Not exciting for the news, sorry journalists, but that's how it actually works. Nathan doesn't know precisely what's coming next. I don't know a single thing about what's coming next. That's my favorite thing to do to him. And so uh, we're gonna do a little role playing. I am going to be, I've decided to choose the name Hildegard, I am going, that's a good name. It's great. <laughs> I'm going to be a vaccine hesitant parent. I've just, I'm just not sure. Um, don't, I've got a few questions, I, I don't know. And um, I'm bringing in my teenage son, Fred, to Dr. Boonstra for the first time because, oh my gosh, Fred wants to try out for the football team and we need a sports physical. And it's August. Hi, Dr. Boonstra. I'm Hildegard. This is Fred. He doesn't talk much because he's a surly teenager who is teenaged. So um, can you just fill out this form? And I think that's all we want because what else could you want from a doctor? Just fill out forms. Sure. Oh, it was really nice to meet you, Hildegard. Thank you. And Fred. Hi. Um, yep. So you have special forms and whatnot. So. We'll get your physical done here pretty soon. And I also noticed um, that you haven't gotten your flu shot for the season, so I would really recommend that you get your flu shot done today. We can get that done right away. Well, here's the thing, Dr. Boonstra. So Fred's never had a flu shot, yeah. but he's also never had the flu. So it seems like he doesn't need it. Well, you know, I hear you. Because if, if you haven't seen the flu and you don't know what it does, you, I, I could understand why you might not think it's very important. Um, there's a couple of things that I really think you should know and the reasons that I recommend this vaccine to, to teenagers, to kids. One is that um, kids get and spread a fair amount of flu. You can, you got about a 20% chance of, of going, uh, a kid's got about 20% chance of getting flu during a season. Oh. Now, you might have gotten lucky here, and so he's had a number of seasons he never got influenza. Because he's really healthy. He's on the football team. He is. He's really healthy. Football something we'll talk about separately. But, <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> um, you know, you can go. It's kind of just chance. That means if you get influenza just one out of five years as a kid, some kids are going to go 10 or more years just by luck. Sure. Uh, and it doesn't, you, know, you can be very healthy, but your immune system is still susceptible to flu. And the second thing is that influenza actually 
is, can be pretty dangerous to kids. Um, when we look at the numbers for kids that die of influenza every year, we're looking at 100 or more every year. And year in, year out, 80% of those kids have not had their flu shot of those deaths. That's scary. Yeah, and there's a study that just came out a year or two ago that showed that the influenza vaccine was 60 or 70% effective at reducing death from influenza in kids. Well, we definitely don't want him to die because he plays football. He's very important on the team. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. No, I want him to be as safe as possible. So uh, I agree. I mean, I want him to be safe on the field. And I want him to be safe uh, when it comes to influenza. And that's why I think it's a really good idea for him to get this shot. Well, you know, Dr. Boonster, I just met you, mm -hmm. but you're very tall and, and uh, you seem very convincing. So let's go ahead and give it a try. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things that I did there was, so I use a lot of times the um, case method. You might've heard of this. It was developed by Allison Singer of the Autism Science Foundation. Mm -hmm. uh, and its case is an acronym. So we don't have a slide for this. I'm just vamping. Uh, corroborate. So that time when I said, you know, I can really understand why you would say that. The second part is about me, which I think I didn't actually do in there. But I probably, had I been more on my game, would have said something like, you know, I have thought that too. And I did a lot of research to try to figure this out. And this is what I found. Uh, or I just went to this conference to learn more about immunizations, and then these brilliant people from this podcast taught me these things. Uh, that's something you can say, and then you can say what the website is, and then you can say what the podcast is. And, um, and then the, the S is science, so you just talk about the studies that we talked about, and then you explain with uh, some level of emotional reason why. And again, that's going to often be like the a bad outcome of the disease, the, this flu vaccine. And I didn't mention this in this conversation, but... I've coded a kid who died of influenza in residency. Like, I know what, like, I've seen it. And so those stories are super important. And so I always say this, I say this a lot when I give medical student talks and resident talks, that if you can, you, you, it's a good idea in your experiences to keep a diary of those uh, experiences that you have seeing people or finding out about uh, cases of vaccine-preventable disease, obviously in a HIPAA-compliant ma manner. Mm -hmm. But if I could go back and know more details about some of those patients that I've seen affected by vaccine-preventable disease, I would, because I want those details more at my, my fingertips to be able to, again, in a HIPAA-compliant manner, relate to people. Um, but, you know, if you can keep a diary of that stuff now, it can benefit you later if you're ever talking about these diseases. Nice. Thank you. Okay, we're gonna do one more before we turn to questions. Okay, now I already won. We're gonna... I won. Yay! Come on. Uh, now my name is Bertha. Okay. And I have my one-year-old baby daughter, Betsy. I'm bringing Betsy in. Betsy's actually a really yeah. cute name. I'm bringing Betsy in. We've been seeing you for a year since Betsy was born. I like Dr. Boonstra, even though he's very tall and intimidating. And from Iowa. And from Iowa. <laughs> Sorry, that only makes, that's only funny to me. You're um, right. <laughs> I'm bringing Betsy in today because she's just turned one. Mm -hmm. We had a great birthday celebration, Dr. Boonstra. Mm -hmm. Here's Betsy. Doesn't she look great? What do we need to do at one years old? What is, what's like, you just listen to her breathe or what? 
Yeah, so I'm gonna I'm gonna listen to her breathe. I'm gonna lick in her ears. I'm gonna I'll do the regular physical exam that we've done several other times. I mean, you okay. know how this works, and we're gonna go over some of that stuff that's important to know about uh, how to take care of a one year old and whatnot. And then she'll be due for some immunizations today, uh, and they're gonna include the chickenpox vaccine and the measles, mumps, rubella vaccine uh, that she'll get today, and then we'll be all set. Okay, so Dr. Boonstra, you know, I've been totally on board with all the vaccines you've recommended so far. The one yeah. for whooping cough and the other ones that I don't remember because I'm a regular mom. But I was, I was listening to some ladies talk at church and I'm worried about that measles vaccine and the chicken pox vaccine because apparently they've got aborted babies in them. And also, I don't. Why are we giving chickenpox vaccines? I had chickenpox as a kid. It was great. I got to watch the Thunderbirds with my grandparents, and sure. it was a lot of fun. Yeah. So I just maybe we don't do those ones. Yeah, I hear. What it sounds to me like you've heard some things kind of said, and have made you really nervous. And if I had heard yeah. those things, that would make me very nervous oh, for too. For sure, because look at Betsy. She's perfect. Yeah, Betsy's fabulous. I love Betsy. So. One of the things that I'm concerned about, because sometimes things go around and you hear things about vaccines that are really distortions of the truth. And I had heard the same thing. When I, I've heard the same thing about like fetal cells and whatnot. So I dug right into that. And I have some resources for you that I can show you, but I wanna tell you about them because um, what I found out was that, yes, back in the 60s or so, there were some cell lines that were created from some fetal cells, uh, some, some abortions at that time, two of them, I believe. But there are not ongoing abortions or anything like that going on. Those cell lines are now propagated indefinitely. They've been going on for decades and decades. They're used in medical research of many kinds. They are used for some vaccines. But when we think about, and, and I can understand why even that might Give you pause. Yeah, it's very scary. I want you to know that it's the diseases that we protect against, though, they cause danger to babies. They cause danger to pregnant women. Mm. Um, even chickenpox? Even chickenpox. Oh. So, you know, I had the same experience with you. I watched Transformers myself. Um, <laughs> but are you familiar with shingles? Ah, uh, yes. My mother had shingles last year, and it was yeah. so painful and terrible. I just wouldn't wish that on anyone. But what does that have to do with what we're talking about today, Dr. Right. It, shingles is the worst. And it is. It's terrible. What you may not know is shingles, in a sense, is chickenpox. What? what? Yeah. So what happens is you um, get chickenpox as a child, but chickenpox really never leaves most people. It kind of uh, lives kind of dormant in certain nerve roots. And then at some point in about a quarter to a third of the population, it just breaks out along that nerve distribution. And it can be really nasty for some. It can be around, you know, have eye involvement. It can, it can be awful. And it's painful. It can lead to complications. We get it when you're older. It happens when people are immunocompromised or they just get older or for some reason the immune system is not able to keep that in check. It happens to a good hunk of people. So if for no other reason, uh, you know, chickenpox did cause some deaths back before we had the vaccine. It caused like 100 deaths a year. Now we're down to like single, low double digits. Um, but the, one of the biggest reasons I would say is because the data that we have so far is showing that 
kids that are immunized against chickenpox, they're showing lower rates of pediatric shingles, and most likely, you know, the evidence seems to indicate that as they get older, they'll probably have less shingles. Mm. Um, we don't have 50-year-olds that we can that got the vaccine, very many of them, that we can prove that in, but that seems to be what the evidence would show. So there's a good chance that you're protecting your child against shingles if you immunize them against chickenpox. That's the reason I would recommend both of those. And you've heard of the measles outbreaks that we've had. Are we yeah. in Minnesota and or Iowa, wherever our clinic is? <laughs> uh, the, <laughs> you, we've had measles in Iowa. We've I had travel measles for in four Minnesota. hours to see so Dr. Boonstra. We're right great. on the border there, too. We're like, right. So those are the reasons that I think it's really important to get those, those shots today. Well, They're, you know, Dr. Boonstra, I, I was listening to those church ladies, but it seems like you really know your stuff, and I'm so grateful for you to for answering my questions, and it's really impressive that you just knew those answers. So I, I trust you. Let's do it. And the other thing is that <laughs> if... <laughs> no, but I actually want to say this, because if you're talking... Because you may not know that stuff at the tips of your fingers, because it may not be your hobby to, like, bust myths, right? And that's fine. What? But the other thing you can do is get back to parents. If parents know that they can access you and send you the latest Facebook link that they got, because parents can do that with me, and it's actually through the medical portal, like the EMR that we have, they can send me a link, and I can get back and say, this is what I think of that link, and this is why I think you should immunize, even though that link is scary. Um, and so even if you're not able to make that, so I might say, I'd like, you know, I really think you should immunize today. And if you have more questions or the, you know, your friends bring up other things, text or not text me, but send me that send me that message right away. Send me that link right away. I will get back to you. Or if you're really not able to get them to come to that decision to yes at that visit, be available to be able to answer their questions. And again, this can be like even if you're not the provider, if you make yourself available and and people ask you questions and you may not know the answer, but you can. I mean, we're easy to find, so you can we can help you find answers if you need to find answers mm -hmm. to the myth that comes down the turnpike. Yeah, and you know, I, I like that because so much about that that is again based in that relationship building and that building of trust over time. That you know, you want to get to the yes at that appointment, but if you can't, that there's still that relationship that you're working on, that that parent-patient doctor triad that's so important. Um, also, I just, as long as we're here, I just want to plug that Voices for Vaccines has a Friday newsletter that I put out every Friday uh, called This Week in Vaccine Hesitancy. And what I do is I kind of just sort of look for trends, what the top fears or pieces of misinformation going on around right now are, sort of like surveying what flu strains are circulating, right? And then I just um, do a really brief summary of the myth and the response to it with links included. So you can get that newsletter just by joining, by going to voicesforvaccines.org slash join hyphen us. It oh. is a really useful, like it does help keep on top of kind of those latest myths that you might see. Mm -hmm. She does a fabulous job with oh, it. Thank you. Oh goodness, look at all of these questions. Oh, I like this, okay. Um, anonymous says, on your friends outside, I smiled at them while coming into the conference at how ridiculous their signs were and are. That's not a question, but I just wanted to read that out loud. It's a fact. So we just got one that popped in. How did the podcast start? I love this question. For the first, oh goodness, now I've got to do this time thinking. For the first three, four years that we had Voices for Vaccines going, 
I used to have a monthly conference call. And I liked it because, you know, I wanted people to be able to ask questions and do all that stuff. And there were conference calls that were super duper well attended. Like when we had Dr. Paul Offit call in, um, we'd have 100 people call into the conference call, which was exciting to me. And I liked the conference call idea because parents and providers and public health could all be in the same space talking about vaccines, which was really, really important to me. However, some conference calls had 10 or 15 people on them, and no matter how many people showed up, it was as much work for me, and it was a lot of work for me. And I would download them, and I would put them online, and then people would write me and thank me because they couldn't make the conference call, but they were glad they got to listen to it. And I thought to myself, you know, what if I just did a thing that people could listen to whenever they wanted to? <laughs> instead of this thing where like people have to sign up and then they have to schedule time and then they have to call in like they could be walking their dogs or gardening while they're listening to this instead of you know sitting down trying to eat lunch and do their work and being on a conference call so really the podcast sort of grew out of that there are some um older members of Vas Voices for Vaccines who were upset that I was like, conference call's done, and they're like, oh, but we love conference calls. I'm like, mourn them, do whatever you want, I'm done. <laughs> I'm dusting off my shoes on that one. Uh, but I, I kind of um, proved myself right because our first podcast was downloaded a thousand times within a week, which is, you know, more than our most popular conference calls. And, and the purpose wasn't to be popular. I mean, it's really, Voices for Vaccines isn't about popularity, and the podcast isn't about downloads the way that so many other podcasts are. It's really about asking people to be part of the conversation, no matter who they are. And so I was happy that it was downloaded that many times because that way we were having conversations with people who we were not having conversations with before. So that was really the whole um, podcast story. All right, what did you choose? So I will talk about, uh, there was a question also from Anonymous. Uh, what advice can you offer to school nurses when dealing with vaccine-hesitant parents, bearing in mind that they have far less time for each parent than a doctor? So not being a school nurse, I don't have great insight into what those experiences are like. So if anybody wants to say into a microphone and not be anonymous about that. General thing, I would say though, if you're talking about like families that are pushing back against the requirements for school, um, is you don't, you really don't have to, and this is true again for everybody. If you're gonna advocate for vaccines, you don't have to argue, you really don't. Your position can be, I've looked into this, I've read the stuff from the experts, I hear what you're saying, and I still think that the best choice is to immunize uh, that it's safe and effective and the experts agree on it and the studies show it. I appreciate what you're saying, but I just have not found this to be true. And that is really, if somebody pushes back on Facebook or something, that's really kind of what you have to say. Thanks for your opinion, I appreciate that. I didn't, maybe you'll say, I don't think everything you said in there is accurate, but I've read, you know, I've really, done my research and this is the conclusion that I've come to. You don't have to get into a back and forth about it. So that might be true also in the setting of uh, talking to a parent in a school nurse setting where you're saying, I appreciate your opinion, this is the law and this is what we believe is important for keeping our school protected against disease. Hi, I'm Bridget Chandler and I'm a school nurse, nurse with Seattle Public Schools. 
and um, we have very limited time to talk with families. We're busy with their children who are in our offices and um, of course entering immunization data into the Washington information system, right? <laughs> so um, when we do have the chance to talk with families, uh, the very first thing that we wanna do is empathize with them and that we have this shared value of, well, of course you care about your children and I really hear that. You know, and if you're a parent, you might say, I'm a parent too. And um, I struggled with this question, if you did or didn't. But you're in a position as a nurse, um, and so, or a nurse practitioner, and so you can say, you know, I have a medical education, and I study the data, and it's very convincing to me that these vaccines that we offer are some of the safest medical products that are out there. And we are providing our children a lifetime of protection against very dangerous and maybe even deadly diseases when we vaccinate them. Um, so I may not say that many words because <laughs> I'll pass a hat for my DNP tuition at the University of Washington later. <laughs> so I guess my message is basically keep it really short, keep it sweet. Uh, don't tell them that they're wrong and that you're, you don't want to get into a smarty pants back and forth with, with them. You want to find the shared value. We all love your kids. And I think the most powerful takeaway message that I've used is these vaccines are among the safest products and they offer our children a lifetime of protection. Thank you. Thank you. That was so much better of an answer. Yeah, that was a great answer. I, I would just, I want to add something to it because this is where knowing whether or not the person you're talking to is vaccine hesitant or anti-vaccine comes in handy. And I had a principal once um, who gave me a great piece of advice when I had this parent who was very argumentative. It was my first year of teaching, and she was very argumentative, and she knew so much more about teaching than I did because she was a lawyer. And so, <laughs> and I went to my principal, I'm like, I don't know what to do. And he said, let me, let me teach you a phrase that I want you to use. I will take that under advisement. And so I, I would like to share that with you, that if you have a parent who is trying to play anti-vaccine whack-a-mole with you, giving you a new myth every 30 seconds to try to debunk, that you can cut your losses there and say, thank you. I will take that under advisement. And then you can end the conversation. But, um, you know, and that's probably gonna come after you've said something wonderful and empathetic because everybody knows that school nurses are the best people. Uh, yeah, it's true. <laughs> oh, there have been times I've wanted to bring school nurses just a big cake and being like, thank you for dealing with my child right now. <laughs> um, but at, at some point you'll say, you know what, I'm not dealing with someone who has questions or concerns or could be swayed. I'm dealing with someone who's trying to trap me who's trying to trick me, who's trying to get me a gotcha. And I don't have to be there. My time is you know, best served in other places. And so, yes, everyone repeat after me. I will take that under advisement. <laughs> okay, we're supposed to- You're gonna to take that stop sign under yeah. advisement. So, <laughs> yeah.
So thank you everybody here in Seattle and thank you to all you folks joining us from home for listening in today. It was so great talking to you all. My name is Karen Ernst. I am the executive director of Voices for Vaccines. You can find us at voicesforvaccines.org. And I'm Dr. Nathan Boonstra, general pediatrician at Blank Children's Hospital in Des Moines, Iowa. Find me on my blog, pedsgeekmd.com and also look for me on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you, Seattle.